Wessex LMC's Supporting You and Your Practice. Welcome to the podcast of the recording of the Practice Manager webinar that was run on Wednesday the 14th of April. So welcome to our Practice Manager webinar. So first of all, I'm going to start off with handing over to Lisa Harding to give us um, a bit bit of an update about COVID, I think, Lisa. Thanks, Louise. And apologies, I'm going to refer to my notes because there are a couple of things that come out with quite a bit of information over the last few days. So there have been a couple of things. JCVI released a statement yesterday, which was followed by a letter from NHSE, just setting out the final advice for phase two of the um, vaccination programme. So just to confirm that they're recommending an age-based approach with adults aged 18 to 49 prioritised in descending order. So that's obviously the 40 to 49-year-olds, 30 to 39-year-olds, and the 18 to 29-year-olds, taking into consideration those high-risk individuals who are should be encouraged to take up the offer as soon as um, offered to them. Um, they've confirmed that they believe we're still on course nationally to offer a vaccine to all those in the phase one priority groups by mid-April and all adults by the end of July. Um, Also just confirming that most vaccine supply will be needed for second doses um, or remaining first doses in cohort one to nine. Um, You should still follow the nationally set dose intervals. Um, So in terms of the next cohort, cohort 10, Um, They're saying that the 45, 49-year-olds should be prioritised next, should start offering appointments where supplier allows, um, and there will be more advice to follow on the second half of that cohort, i.e. the 40 to 44-year-olds. They are reopening the self-referral route for eligible health and social care workers. That will be reinstated by the 19th of April on the National Booking Service. Just a reminder that social care workers will need ID and authorisation, such as ID cards, uh, letter from employer, that kind of thing. Um, JCVI also advises continuing to promote uptake for the more at-risk groups, such as males, BMI 30+, the BAME groups, and those uh, experiencing a particular socio-economic deprivation. So that's a little bit on on the vaccines. Um, And uh, I'll move on now to the AstraZeneca vaccine. You'll have seen, I know probably you'll have an awful lot of uh, phone calls from worried patients around the media coverage, around blood clots. So there has been some further advice um, issued. Um, They're still saying that the balance of risk is still in favour of vaccination for those aged 30 years plus. Um, for the AstraZeneca and for those who have um, underlying health conditions, putting them at higher risk within those age groups. Um, It is preferable that those aged under 30 uh, are offered an alternative, um, such as the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. They may wish to make an informed decision based on the balance of risk and receive the vaccine earlier, depending on their role and the risk and the vulnerability. However, that should be made um, as part of a discussion uh, unfortunately, they are saying with their GP or their um, vaccination site. Um, those due for a second dose of the AZ vaccine should continue, but there has been guidance from the MHRA on those who are at higher risk and should not receive the AZ vaccine as a second dose. Uh, so we will put that out with our FAQs because it's quite specific around those groups. So I won't read it out now. Um, those who've not had a first 
dose and who are in phase one, such as unpaid carers, some health and social care professionals, um, may need to cancel their appointments and discuss the options. Potentially, as I've already said, they may wish to go ahead um, balanced on the risk factors or they may choose an alternative vaccine. Um, so that was what I was just going to mention around the latest on the vaccine programme. Um, we'll put links perhaps to the, the um, press statement and the 13th of April letter in our, our FAQ so people can read those in. There's quite a lot of detail and I would recommend that everybody reads those letters uh, just to be absolutely sure. Um, then I was just going to move on to the PPE scheme um, just to uh, confirm that that has been extended to the end of March 2022. Uh, for those needed. So that's to access free PPE. So that was just to let people know in case they haven't already heard. Um, and on that note, I will hold, um, hand over to Helene. Helene, I think you're going to talk a bit about pulse oximetry. Hi, afternoon, everybody. Um, it may have come to your attention that the MHRA have produced some guidance actually in March, 26th of March, um, on the use of pulse oximetry those people with um, darker skin. Uh, it's the concern that there's inaccurate reading for people in this um, in this group. Uh, it's not new, actually. There was a study, actually, they started raising it in back in 1990. There's a new study produced in the USA in 2020 that addressed some of these concerns. And um, what they highlighted, there's an underestimate of low levels of O2 in um, dark-skinned people. So it's just really for staff to be aware. There's quite a lot on the, um, the internet at the moment about it. And as you know, with the rollout of the COVID Oximetry at Home programme and the virtual wards, more people are now monitoring their O2 um, at home. And there are lots of other factors that can impact on the accuracy of the pulse oximeters, including the oximeters themselves. Um, in fact, they don't really encourage people to buy their own oximeters. They are available. Um, you know, if you put in Amazon, there's a variety of them, a range of prices. Um, but other factors that can affect the impact of the um, O2 monitoring are movement, if the patient moves, if the patient's got nail polish, if they have false nails on, um, if there's any henna dye or tattoos on the finger or the nail, um, and obviously if the probe is not actually in the, uh, in the correct position. The important thing is just to be aware when you're treating people with a skin colour, um, a dark skin colour, that it may have an adverse effect on the monitoring. Um, it can give them a reading perhaps higher than is actually... Um, actually the, the proper reading of the O2, it can, it can be out by about four to 6%. So it's really, really important to consider. Mm -hmm. Obviously clinical judgment in all cases outrides, outrides whatever observations um, comes from, from the piece of equipment um, and maintaining the equipment again is obviously really important. So just to uh, bring that to your attention and we do have something on our website um, in relation to that. If anybody has any other questions, then please um, come back to us. Um, that the MHRA are not aware of any incidents where the skin colours had an adverse effect on the use of the pulse oximeter, but it's just for people to um, to be aware. Anybody with an O2 94 or below, any case, um, should you sh any clinician should seek further advice and you know take a more holistic approach um, when managing the patient. Lovely, thanks, Helene. That's really helpful. Um, Michelle, I think we're going to go to you now, please. Got a few things to just update on. This one's just a reminder, and you may have already seen this. So this is around the temporary changes um, of the GP contract under the pandemic regulations, and these were set to um, well, these were set to expire in March uh, this year. They've been extended to the 30th of June, and that covers three areas. The first is the um, suspension of the requirement to report your friends and family test results. 
the suspension around individual patient consent um, and the requirement to obtain this in relation to electronic repeat prescribing. And then finally, the continuation of the temporary increase on the bookable appointments for 111. Previously and, and before COVID, it was one per 3,000 patients per day. It's now one slot per 500 patients per day. So it's just to highlight those um, and just to say that that's been extended to the end of June. There are so many documents coming out currently, um, and I just wanted to highlight one that I thought that we thought was actually really useful um, in light of the GP contract changes. So the statement of financial entitlements of the SFE is released each year. The last full version that was released was 2013. Um, and, and year on year, there's might like small amendments made to that. And then we get the amendments through a document which doesn't have the full version of the SFE attached to it. However, this year, really helpfully, the SFE has now um, been released as a full document, um, which makes it every, easier for everybody to understand the amendments and what they apply to. In the, free, uh, in the Frequently Asked Questions document, we'll add the link into this. It's worth being aware of the SFE. It's how payments are, uh, you know, all the payments that are re uh, received by practices. So it's a document to be um, aware of. Also, the directed enhanced uh, service directions have been released. Um, uh, and that's another one to be aware of. Interestingly, uh, we are going to come on to flu in a second. But for whatever reason, flu, the flu des isn't included within that. Um, and it states that they're waiting for uh, further details to be available shortly. I wonder if it's to do with the 50 to 64 year old discussion that's taking place, which is why the, the des directions haven't been released. Um, we'll come on to that in a second. Um, I think that's all I wanted to say on those documents. The next one I just wanted to update on, we are getting an increasing number of queries uh, from practices on in relation to online access to medical records. And this clearly is in light of some of the um, discussions around COVID passports and access to information on uh, COVID vaccines and the medical record. I thought it would be useful just to highlight what's within the contract and the requirements that were released from April last year, as just a reminder. Um, in light of COVID and everything that's been happening. Um, so from the 1st of April 2020, there was a contractual requirement that practices must enable for all patients prospective access to their medical record. Um, and that there is some caveats with that. So the first is as long as you have functionality within your clinical system to enable that access. And the other was um, unless there are exceptional circumstances. And I would suggest that the pandemic that we've been, that everybody's been dealing with um, would be an exceptional circumstance. However, I think going forward, practices will need to, um, to start looking at this and in light of why we're getting a number of queries. So the other section within the contract agreement from April last year was that if any patient requests all access to their medical records or the full medical record, the practices need to give it. And this is the bit that I think that practices are really nervous about, quite rightly, and the work that's associated with that. So just a couple of things to mention as to what we're doing as an LMC. Um, the first is we do have a lunch and learn around managing patient records, which we're going to review. Um, and um, update, which will be available shortly. The second um, element that we're looking at is around the communication and whether it would be useful for practices to have information on your website that highlights to patients 
what the two different forms of access will enable. So whether you let whether you um, identify prospective access or whether you offer full access. And so they understand um, what they're going to get with both of those options. Uh, and once we've got that drafted and ready, we will share that with practices. So it was just to reassure you that we are working on this. We understand this is an issue um, and, uh, and we'll release the information shortly that we're working on. Um, just moving on to the next topic, so the national video uh, consultation contract, um, there has now been a transition period agreed um, and that uh, the um, practice will, will still be able to access this service whilst local commissioners look at how they want to procure the service for practices. There is a, a procurement frame, framework being launched later um, in the month that commissioners will work to. And I believe that costs will be paid centrally, but will be offset against CCG's digital first primary care funding. So it's just reassurance that you will continue to be able to use video consultations whilst the contract is being um, negotiated locally for you. And then finally, probably the hot, the hot topic that we've got currently is the flu vaccinations and the ordering for 21-22. Um, practices may be aware, and I'm sure you are, that there was a letter released on the 1st of April, which included the option around um, and the cohorts for the 50 to 64 year olds. And within that letter, it stated that practices would be able to receive reimbursement for this cohort. What isn't clear from that letter is what the word reimbursement actually means. Is it that you'll get an item of service payment or does it also mean that you'll be able to claim the PPA uh, costs if you were to purchase the vaccines? So the BMA have put out a statement that as this is a new cohort of patients, they are trying to seek further information urgently around this cohort. Um, and we are awaiting that. And as soon as we receive it, we will share it with practices. We are also aware that um, that uh, one of our public health local teams has put out a message to practices as well around this and I think suggesting to order. I think it will be a practice decision as to how you want to go forward and whether you want to order. And we are aware that Sequiris are, the deadline they're stating is Friday and we have raised that with public health to say, could, we, could there be some discussion and negotiation over that? Because actually that isn't a great deal of time to get your orders in. So we are aware that this is urgent and we will, um, we're seeking clarification, obviously from the BMA, but also the local, the two public health teams that we work with. And as soon as we have anything, we will share it with practices. And I think, I, I think I'm handing over to Louise. Thanks, Michelle. Just one comment that's come in about flu. We've had an email today confirming item of service is included or that's how the practice manager, Jenny Doc, has um, interpreted the email. So obviously information is coming out as we are aware. Um, and I guess as, as soon as we get more clarification, um, we so will I believe it, we? Uh, we will. And I believe there is a letter due next week, which I completely get that that is not, that's not helpful given that you have the deadline with Sequiris on Friday. Um, so, but as soon as we have any information, we will share that with practices. Thank you, Michelle. Just something that I was working on was which is the new to partnership scheme. And just to let you know that any new partners need to have claimed for the new to partnership scheme within six months of them starting as a partner. That um, six month deadline was a little bit flexed during um, last year during during COVID, but now it is a firm six months. And while I was talking to the BMA about this, I took the opportunity to say, how about practice managers? And they still say they're still working on practice managers being partners. But please be reassured we are banging on about it as much as we possibly can. Um, so we are, I'm speaking on your behalf 
um, for that. So I just wanted to bring you up to date with that. And now I think, Helene, you're going to talk a little bit about CQC, please. And the CQC have announced inspections are set to resume for newly registered practices, um, practices rated inadequate and requires improvement, um, and any practices who have breached regulations. Um, they started their first inspections. In fact, they started at the beginning of April. Um, and it's just to make sure that people are aware of that and ready that, you know, it could it could happen to somebody on our patch, really. Um, if anybody wants um, any advice around preparation for CQC, then again, please, um, please get in contact with us. Well, that was much quicker than I thought. Thank you very much, Helene. That's fantastic. I was caught unawares. Um, Lisa, I think you're going to update us now on return to work and shielding, please. Okay. Thanks, Lucy. Yeah, just a short item from me. Um, there is a, a little bit more guidance on the BMA website, which again, we can post, signpost to in our FAQs uh, and within QA, Q&A here. But um, as everybody knows, as of 1st of April, um, shielding for the clinically vulnerable was paused. Um, although those who can work from home are still advised to do so. Um, with regard to sort of practice teams, GPs, nurses, etc., um, we are just reminding the BMA has some guidance around, remember to refresh your risk assessments if uh, you have specifically vulnerable members of staff or they have been, they are, they have family members who have been shielding. So refresh your risk assessments, um, agree an appropriate plan with the individual um, and have a back to work conversation if that's appropriate. Um, the vaccination state status should not be a factor as um, it is not 100% effective um, and keep those working arrangements under review. Um, we do have some updated risk assessment guidance on our website as well. So we'll put all those links within the FAQs. Lovely. Thank you, Lisa. That's really helpful. Um, I think we come to the end of our sort of scheduled topics. There's a one query is coming on Quaff. Um, I think, Michelle, maybe I'll, I'll refer this one to you. Um, concerned that the Quaff payment is incorrect. Um, there's a little bit more detail that I won't read out now, but um, I understand all the areas are income protected. But while the income is similar, I think it's lower than it should be. How do you query it? Who do you go to? So I think we were aware that there was an issue with COAF. I think that only related to the cervical screening and the flu indicators because of the changes this year. And that's been rectified. So if there are still issues, then I would suggest you probably need to go to your primary care team um, at the CCG to raise this if you're not if you're concerned about the difference and that it doesn't feel that it's right. Happy okay. to be copied um, into that if you want, you know, we do. Help I was just that. about to say. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Sarah uh, copy us in um, or if you don't get the answer that you think you should have had. And um, I'm sure we can help. We can help you on that. Uh, and Helene, you weren't going to get away with that very shortly on cloth on the CQC. So the inspections are the restarted inspections for those reaching regulations for visited inspections. And if we are last visited in 2016, should we be expecting one now? Basically, who is getting a visit? The people now? who are getting visits now are those practices that were rated inadequate or requires improvement, and anybody that's had a breach of a regulation. So it's not a routine sort of three yearly inspection. They're prioritised. They are prioritising what what they're doing. 
And is that because of COVID? Is that is that because of it? It's difficult to get. When are they going to get back to what they? They, have, they, they haven't said. Um, but I know I personally have had um, three or four emails this week asking if you know, nurses, advisors are available for inspections around the, the country. So they are definitely starting them, um, but they are only focused. As far as we know, they are only focusing on those at this moment in time, um, and certainly any advisors. Um, have to go through quite a rigorous testing system to make sure you know they've, they've either had the vaccines and or they've had a negative COVID test so they've been very strict so I don't think they'll be rushing out to do them because obviously of the risk of exposure. Okay that's somewhat reassuring thank you. Um, Michelle so assuming patients do not have electronic access to their records and require proof of COVID vaccination can we charge? I think that's a really interesting query. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the answer, to be honest. And I was just thinking about previously with yellow fever, if you had to have provided that, you would have charged for that. This is slightly different because yellow fever is a private vaccine, yeah. um, whereas COVID clearly isn't. I think we need to go away. I, I, at the moment, I, I don't think we have a clear answer because I don't think it's actually clear how, how people are going to be able to access their COVID vaccination history. They're talking about a separate app, aren't they, that NHSX are, are, um, uh, are developing. But I think we probably need to go away and answer that. I don't think there is an answer to that at the moment. Okay. And Helene's got a Helene hand might, up. So Helene I'll, might have an answer for us. No, 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 I haven't got an answer. Forgive me. I think we have this conversation as well, doing about the date, because... Obviously, if, if patients can access their details, they will, you know, for the tra we'll talk about travel vaccinations, won't we? You know, you can get retrospectively. Well, one imagines that if you have a COVID vaccine, it will be added to that system in any case. Is that correct? Do we have a conversation, Michelle or Lisa, about this this week? Lisa. I was just going to mention, I think that the GPC have just put some a bit of an update out, haven't they, around COVID vaccination passports so i'm going to post that and should i post that in the q a would that be helpful actually while we're talking could you just have a little perhaps have a little read if there's anything that you can pick out quickly let us know okay yeah bear um, with me some i'm reading reason, directly yeah okay no put it in the q a that's we can certainly all see it okay but i can do that quickly so um the guidance from the gpc is that the government confirmed that covid19 status certification system will be developed over the coming months which could allow higher-risk settings to be opened up more safely with more participants. Um, over the coming months, the system will be developed, which will consider three factors, vaccination, a recent negative test, or natural immunity. Um, event, events pilots will be um, take place from mid-April to trial system. Um, GPC England has been discussing these proposals with the government and NHS bodies to ensure that there'll be minimal impact on GP practices, and this has been accepted. And we need to avoid the expectation that people can secure evidence of vaccination or testing by obtaining a letter from their GP practice. So I guess we probably, as um, Michelle and Helena said, we need to watch the space, but clearly GPC, I think, are, are, are on it. That's really helpful. Thank you. Hot off the press, I think you could call that, couldn't you, Lisa? Brilliant. Yeah. Um, and Jan Lamont just put a uh, comment in that fits travel letters carry a charge. So, yeah. It's a question of whether it's part of your travelling or whether it's part of what you're doing or routine is normal and we just don't really know yet, do we? Um, okay, that's all the questions. Unless anybody else wants to post anything in the next minute or so, I think we'll say that that's, um, that's a quick half an hour roundup of everything that we know. We Oh, is the practice manager conference still planned for the 10th of June? Yes. 
and presume it will be virtual. Yes, sadly, it will be virtual. So 10th of June, please keep it booked out in your diary. We'll just do a morning virtual conference like we did last year. Can't promise any dancing this year. If you missed it, then I'm sorry, you missed an absolute trick. Um, so, but yes, please keep the, the date free. And we're just finalising the agenda at the moment. And we do hope next year it won't have to be virtual, but, you know, we can't promise anything. Um, Alex has just put a comment. Is there an agreement on how much time is in... How much time is enough to call patients in for COVID? There's no declined SNOMED code. It's difficult for practice to manage these patients who we've called several times. We're working on the idea that if they've been asked three times and they still haven't come in, that's kind of enough to say, let's not ask them again. Is, has there been any guidance on this, Lisa? I haven't seen anything definitive. Well, we've heard people, other people talk about that thing, haven't we? I think that, that, yeah. that feels to be a bit of a rule of thumb, but I don't think we've seen anything written down. No. I think that's how it's always been done in Quoth, isn't it? The three extent. Yeah. It's not like that anymore. I know that's changed, but um, that was the historic way of doing it. Three invites and then the exemption report. But yeah, I don't think there's any new information on that. Can anyone confirm whether backfill cover for a partner of sick covers a restricted phased return as well? The reason being we're needing locum cover and worried we won't be covered. Um, Lisa, I don't know whether that's something you can take. I think I would need to look into that. Happy to look into that. Bit more if, detail. If, yeah, we probably need a bit more detail. Sorry, Lisa. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I was just going to say if somebody wants to, I can't see who it is, wants to email me directly, I'm happy to look into that. Yeah. I, as long as I think I think phased returns and sickness reimbursement, there is the option to do that. But there's things that need to be put in place to enable that, I think. But let's get a bit more detail. Great. And um, Jan has helpfully put in as a declined code starts with SARS, starts with SARS. So um, that's just, you know, you might want to find a recode there. Um, that's quite helpful. Thank you. Um, and Justin, obviously, he's not anonymous anymore. So that'll send some information. So that's fantastic. Um, thank you, everybody. Um, thank you very much, Helene, Lisa and Michelle um, and Dawn have been in the background. Um, and we will see you again very soon. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.